Welcome back to another episode of The Sports Skinny. I'm here with Andrew Heller. We have a great episode today. We have a very special guest, Chuck Bauerlein. We referenced him in our last episode. He is our old sports journalism professor. We're here to chop it up about the unwritten rules of baseball. We're going to talk some Mets positive coronavirus cases. Ugh. And, you know, he, he actually snuck into the World Series. We're going to hear a little bit about that story, one of the best I've ever heard. Then we'll wrap it up with some Philly Celtics talk. Obviously, my Celtics are, are killing it right now. 76ers, not so much, as the Celtics took the 2-0 lead uh, in the series on Wednesday. But, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? You want to give a little bit of background about, you know, who you are? Uh, sure, Samara. Happy to join you. Um, I retired from uh, the faculty, the English department faculty at Westchester University uh, two summers ago and um, was there for 30 years. Uh, this The sports journalism class that you and Andrew took came rather late in my career. Uh, a lot of people had asked about it and um, I'm more of an old school, sort of serious, you know, defend the Constitution kind of guy. And uh, sports journalism was always fun and my first love, but I just wasn't sure that it was uh, as important as the other stuff that we were doing. But uh, so many, so many students asked me about it that I finally did reintroduce it to their curriculum and I found it really a lot of fun and became one of my favorite classes near the end of my career. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely one of my favorite classes. Yeah, probably my favorite one, without a doubt. It's always good to have the professor reading your stuff to the rest of the class, right, Samara? <laughs> I mean, it definitely, it was nice. I was a little bit embarrassed, but that, hey, that Villanova Tar Heels recap that I wrote, I still have it. You told me to keep it, use it as a reference, you know, use it as a sample of my work, and, and that meant a lot to me. Okay, good. You didn't plagiarize it, did you? You know what? No, I I, I took serious game notes. I, I'm I'm sure it was your work. I'm just <laughs> her notes yeah. are very impressive. They're, you know, They're super detailed. When you told me during a Westchester, when we had to go to a Westchester basketball game, me and Andrew went, and I was taking game notes, and that was I think the first game recap that you had asked us to do, possibly. And you had wrote that I really understand the nuances of the game. And that made me feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, good. Well, good. So let's get to the, um, you know, the old school baseball question. Yeah, let, let's get down to the, to the brass tacks here. On Monday night, we had a situation arise where... The Padres are playing against the Texas Rangers, and one of the hottest players in baseball, one of the most fun players to watch, Fernando Tatis Jr., decided to swing on a 3-0 pitch. Now, mind you, the Padres are already up in the eighth inning. It's 10-3, and he swings on, an o, on a 3-0 count, and he hits a grand slam, puts the Padres up 14-3 in the eighth inning. They wound up winning 14 to four, I believe. Now, everyone's up in arms saying that there's an unwritten rule. You're not supposed to swing on three and O. And these are, this is more of the older generation. Then you have the younger generations who loves to watch the home runs, who it's kind of like, let the kids play, let the kids have fun. And if you want to be in the game, pitch better. What, what is your take on this as someone who's seen the game of baseball develop from where it was back in the day to where it is now? Well, I, I, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate, uh, you know, wanting to hit a grand slam home run. Uh, and I, it doesn't bother me as much as it might people that played the game. Cause, cause I'm mostly a fan. I, I played in high school, but, I never got very far in a baseball career. So I think it really comes down to a matter of sportsmanship and a team that's already got the other team down by seven or eight runs. 
uh, they don't need a hit there. So while the, you, you kind of blame the pitcher for grooving one right down the middle of the plate, and it's possible that Tatis just decided, you know, this is too good to pass up. I need to take a swing at this. I, it wouldn't surprise me if after he hit it, he thought, gee, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, so, so now I don't particularly like the idea that the Padres had to retaliate and, and throw. Well, the Rangers. Yeah, yeah, the Rangers, and, and throw Machado at the at the next hitter. Uh, so that you know you could you could hurt someone throwing throwing at their head, or even if you're throwing a pitch that's two feet behind them, you know you're. What is the message you're sending? I, I you know, you you're. No one wants to get injured, especially when they're having a pitch thrown at them. But um, I. I'm not sure that it needs to be settled that way. I, I would prefer that uh, maybe the pitcher say something to Tatis after the game. Was that really necessary? Uh, I, I don't – I think I like I like it when guys play the game hard. And I, I'm a big Phillies fan, and I love Chase Utley. But even, even when he went into that – was it a Mets second base? He went in, he broke Ruben Tejada's yeah. leg. Yeah. Did yeah. you okay. not see me grimace when you said Chase Utley's name? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that, that that's a little bit over the top, right? I mean, you want to play hard, but no, not so hard that you're hurting someone. And so I lost a little respect for Chase Utley when he did that. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, I think I don't remember Samara. Do you remember if the Mets tried to retaliate or threw at him or or not? I don't remember, but I don't think uh, compounding an overly aggressive play is smart baseball. I mean, I, I just think you know you, you turn the other cheek and you move on, and you, you don't you don't. It's not ice hockey, you know. It's it's a different kind of sport. So uh, I'd rather not see. Uh, Benches clear and people having getting in fistfights and uh, pitchers throwing at hitters that had nothing to do with the play that happened, uh, you know, blasting or or even two pitches before they stepped to the plate. Mm -hmm. Now here's my thing, and and Tatis did apologize for it, and and the Padres manager apologized, and the Rangers manager said that he was really upset about it. But here's my thing: is that. I've experienced a Mets loss over the same type of situation. And it's, you start thinking, when, when is it time to put the brakes on then? Because baseball isn't a timed game. There's no shot clock. There's no time expiring at the end of the game. It's, it, can, it can keep going and going. My Mets were up 10-4 against the Nationals. And the Nationals didn't hold up, and, and neither did the Mets. The Nationals wound up winning in the ninth inning, 11-10. to 10. Down 10-4, they scored seven runs in the ninth inning. Should they have just given up? Or, you know, it's, it's yeah. like when, at what point is that unwritten rule effective? Because any team can mount a comeback. We've seen it happen. So yeah. are these players yeah. just not supposed to – play maybe well, they're playing for a contract maybe they're playing for free yeah. agency whatever it may be at what point is it the unwritten rule applies and at what point is it we have to put our foot on the gas pedal and and try to win this thing well i mean i kind of agree with you uh i i mean you hate to see a team lose when they're up like that like the mets did and there's something to be said for trying to score no matter what the score is. You know, that's the – you want to win the game. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's uh, – I think that's a legitimate rule because, you know, or, or point. You, you're – no team wants to lose in the ninth inning with a six-run lead. And if you do, shame on you. Shame on you for coasting if, if that's what you were doing. So – uh, I don't know that Tatis needs to apologize for doing what a hitter should do. But, you know, I, I, I blame more the retaliation pitch 
Van Tatis taking the ball long with three runners left. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the Mets down like 24 to 1, Jose Reyes coming in to pitch when he, he's never pitched a game in his life, an inning in his life. I, I've seen some bad things as a Mets fan. Andrew, what's your take on this? Let yeah, the kids I'm play? I mean, I'm definitely of the mind to let the kids play. I agree with what you're saying, Chuck. I don't think the retaliation is at all, you know, worth it or appropriate and doesn't make the situation any better. Um, but as far as a 3-0 pitch goes, my dad has been saying my whole life, and he, he yells at the TV every time. He's like, why do they not swing at the 3-0 pitch? That's the best pitch that you're going to see all day. And if you have the bases loaded, I mean, y- you got to swing at it. Everybody wants to hit a grand slam. And I also, Samara, I mean, I'm just – I literally just watched the Phillies blow a 7-0 lead against the Blue Jays after going up 7-0 in the first inning, and it looked like they coasted for the rest of the game. So I'm never a fan. Unwritten rule to me kind of seems like oxymoronic in a way. You know, if it's not an actual rule, then it's just a matter of how you choose to play the game. So I hope my team, at least the Phillies with our bullpen, like whatever that 20 ERA is, um, I hope they never take their foot off the gas. I'm totally of the mind to let the boys play. Yeah, I mean, I I played softball, and I would always get the take sign on a 3-0 pitch. And I get it, but also you hear and you watch baseball, and you see that it's a 3-0 count. And if it's your team that's that's playing defense, they say now you have to give some give the player something to hit. You have to put it in the strike zone. And, you know, if that winds up being that softball that you want to – you know, wind yeah. up on and smash out of the park. I think that's your prerogative. Obviously, it sucks to lose to that extent, but don't put yourself in that hole to begin yeah. with. It's obviously right. easier easier said than done. Right. Again, Maybe. Mets fan, I know how hard it is. I watched Edwin Diaz last night walk. Uh, the Mets walked two players in a row, bases loaded, to tie the game in the eighth inning. Jacob DeGrom pitched an absolute gem, allowed zero runs, I think only four hits. The Mets are up 3-1, and Dylan Betances walks in a batter, bases loaded. It's 3-2. They decide to put in Edwin Diaz. Instead of going straight to Seth Lugo, who's our best guy out of the bullpen, Edwin Diaz then walks the next batter. It's 3-3. And then he strikes out He strikes out the next batter. So we get out of the inning. And luckily, Michael Conforto hit a home run, a two-run shot in the top of the ninth to put us up by two, five-three. But still, it's, you know, the game never stops. Right. And Tatis Jr. recognized that. He is so hot right now. Again, I mentioned it earlier. He's one of the best players in the league right now. I think he's leading in home runs. I think he's leading in RBIs. He's on pace for like 70-something home runs. Right. So if you're leading all these, you know, totals, why wouldn't you want to keep it up? You got a golden opportunity to extend your lead for the home run total or whatever? Totally take it. I I agree. I agree tenfold. So speaking of my Mets, you know, we're recording this on Thursday night, and news did break today that the Mets had two – positive coronavirus cases and and you have to just think of course they were in Miami that that (laughs) cesspool Miami the the Marlins had to have had something to do with it but it's reported that one player and one coach contracted the disease so the game Thursday night which is tonight that we're recording was postponed and then tomorrow night Friday night was supposed to be the start of the subway series against the Yankees that first game was also postponed, but here we go. Here we go again. Another team that's going to have to play a bunch of double headers. Who knows how long these two people are going to stay in Miami while the rest of the team travels back to City Field in New York. But this is bad. This is what the fourth or fifth team now. Yeah, and it just continues to support my theory that only bad teams get Corona. I guess the Phillies are up next then, huh? <laughs> well, thank God they stopped it before they played. They were supposed to play the Yankees this weekend, right? The Mets, the Mets. The and, Mets. you know, yeah, I, I, always, I always say, you know, you can't lose if you don't play. <laughs> so it's a great weekend for you. <laughs> hey, I don't have to worry about the Mets losing to the Yankees 
and I can, you know, sleep better at night knowing that my team didn't get embarrassed or manhandled like the Rangers did to the Padres the other night. (laughs) Very true. Now, are you guys both happy to have sports back or are you feeling like these are these legitimate seasons? Samara? I I personally think these are legitimate seasons. Ex- baseball, I could see there being an asterisk for sure because it's you're only getting half the season and they might be doing win percentage instead of actually how many games you've won. But I think at least NBA-wise, they almost got through the entire season. They did the, se- the bubble games, the seeding games, in Orlando. Everything went out perfectly. Those games were so fun to watch. Teams were able to have a chance to get healthy, and I'm watching some of the best basketball I've seen in a while right now during the playoffs and in those seeding games with with Devin Booker and the Suns and Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers. I can see why you would say that it's not legitimate but they almost finished the entire season before the suspension anyway. I, yeah, I feel, I feel a little bit better about the basketball and hockey than I do about the baseball. Yeah, baseball mm-hmm. will definitely have that asterisk, for n- no question about it, especially because any team that's been infected with coronavirus is missing all of these games. I, I think it was last week the, the, the Cardinals had only played like seven games. The Mets have played like 30. But it's still, they're saying that it might just go by win percentage. I think baseball has been iffy. Basketball's been great for me. Okay. Andrew, what do you think? I think it's great. And I just personally love, I mean, we've talked about this a number of times on the show, the fact that we have so many different sports going on at once and just the consistent action all day really is just totally entertaining for me. I do feel bad about baseball with these consistent Corona cases, because it does seem like these teams are getting, you know, it's happening at least once a week, you know, you're getting at least like one new team. And I think that definitely is bad foreshadowing for the football season. Yep. Because it just, I don't know with 52 guys on each football team, at least, right. um, How you could possibly keep all those people healthy going from state to state. Um, But I definitely hope that it happens and it can go for as long as, uh, as possible because without sports truck I really don't know what to do I was watching horse racing all of April because I was like the only thing on and that's just that was real bad for the wallet <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah you're bet- def- you betting on horse racing oh of course oh yeah I was <laughs> trying to become a sharp but it's so hard there's a I million was betting on horses. Australian football <laughs> and darts and Belarus <laughs> soccer oh yeah the South yeah, oh, Korean I'm, baseball. We're on that too. Oh, check the previous episodes. We have some bad Korean baseball beats. It's, <laughs> it's been tough. I mean, I and I've said this yeah. before too. It's I've realized that the only thing I really care about is sports, and that's like my hobby and the only thing I really do mm-hmm. outside of my my full time job. I'm watching sports. I'm talking about sports. I'm writing about sports, mm-hmm. and you suddenly become presented with this void. What do I do now? What do I watch on TV? What do other people do who don't follow sports? And, yeah, and I like had this crisis almost, like what am I supposed to do with my time? What have you yeah, been I, doing with your time, Chuck? Well, I, you know, I, uh, frankly, uh, I was moving. And so I had the luxury of staying very busy because I was moving you know, books and vinyl and uh, bed, beds, you know, I, ha- I had to move my household from one house to another. And um, so I-, I didn't, I didn't miss it as much as I might have uh, if I was just living at home and uh, at, at, at Downingtown as a single guy without anything to do except, you know, drink beer and watch baseball. So uh, I was really busy, but what I, what I was doing was reading a lot. Uh, I found that to be um, pretty pleasurable. I kind of unplugged from the whole uh, Trump Biden uh, election. And I, you know, I, I, I have, I have my opinions about things and I hope there's a change come November, but I really was not feeling as anxious about, 
the world. Uh, you know, I'm retired now and I enjoy just relaxing and reading and doing the stuff I have to do. And I, I, frankly, I, the, the Flyers were fun to watch, but mm -hmm. the six were frustrating and the, the Phillies don't look that great. So I wasn't missing it all that much. You know, <laughs> if I had a really good team to watch like this, like I do with the Flyers, I'd be more interested. So I don't know. No, that's interesting because I was dying to come back and watch the Mets play. And I know that year after year, it's just heartbreak city. I, I'm just yeah. naive, I think. Well, you know, even when your team is not very good, you like to see them make progress. So I, I really thought Girardi would, would ha have a much better team on the field than what I'm seeing so far. But uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, let's, you know, I mean, let's see, Andrew, I was disappointed to hear you say that the Jays just came back from a seven-run deficit. Yeah. Velasquez. I mean, I think Velasquez pitched great. I didn't see the oh. middle couple innings, but it was the oh. bullpen gave up a three or four oh. runs in the ninth. Okay. He it's went another bullpen. Anyway. What was that? Velasquez went four or five innings? I think so. Okay. I have to double check on that. But all right, well, it's, it's the bullpen that always gets us yeah. every time. And I don't know if Girardi realized that he was walking into such a terrible situation with that, because besides Nola, there's really nobody on the team that can pitch. And that's what gets me frustrated. What yeah. about Zach Wheeler? Well, yeah, Zach exactly. Wheeler's pitching very well. He's, he's pitching very well. Good. Okay, yeah. I stand corrected <laughs> there. But as soon as he goes out and, 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 like, nobody pitches complete games anymore, or even late into the games – I literally just cringe whenever – it could be Hector Neris. It could be – I mean, Alvarez. It's, I think Alvarez took the shot in the groin today. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, that Tom was Hunter. nasty. None of, none of them are very good. None of Hunter. them are very good. Bullpen's atrocious. Absolutely terrible. And the Sixers, just I, – I feel you on that one. We yeah. – <laughs> okay. thank, thank God the Flyers aren't playing. Right. Um, yeah. They're, they're going to win the series. I know it. All right. We'll see. Now, Chuck, we're, we're talking about some bad teams and, and the Phillies losing today, 8-7, 9-8, whatever it was. 9-8. 9-8. But tell us, in our sports journalism class, you told us a legendary story that I've, I've not forgotten, but I need, I need our, our fans, our listeners to hear this. You snuck into the World Series. Well, yeah, yeah it, yeah, it was a little, it was even more significant than that because I'd, you know, been a lifelong Phillies fan. And, uh, you know, 1980 was a, was a pretty magical year, but also it was sort of the end of the line of the, that really great team. Um, and then they added Pete Rose the year before, and Rose had been great. You know, the first year, 79, he hit like, 331 and uh he really did did push them into be becoming great so i was working as a feature writer in knoxville tennessee and quite coincidentally my mom and dad uh were celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary the weekend that the world series was on now um their their party, their 30th anniversary party, was started just as the first pitch of game five was being tossed out. And so um, my sister Gretchen, who was hosting the party in Coatesville, had the television on very low in the other room. But, you know, out of respect for my parents and their they're, you know, they'd had 11 children and was there and uh, spouses and significant others. So I don't know, there, there was probably around 25 people at my sister's house to celebrate my parents' uh, wedding anniversary. Now, at this point, the series is tied two games to two and game five was pretty essential. So I tried to, I tried to be as patient as I possibly could under trying circumstances and uh my brother who was on on the other side of the room closer to the door 
would go in every 30 minutes and tell me, look at the TV screen until he could get a score. But he was, I, I would have been probably in my late 20s. So he, he, was, he would have been about nine. He was the youngest of 11. I was the oldest. And he would come back and say, Chuck, it's one to nothing. <laughs> or, or it's two to one. It's the fifth inning. It's two to one. All I knew it was a close game. He couldn't tell me who was winning or losing. All I knew was that it was a close game. So the last report he gave me, the Phillies were losing, and it was three to two, and it was in the seventh inning. So I, I'm dying. I'm, I'm dying to get in to see the game. The dinner has been going on for like two hours. We've had dinner. We've had salads. We've had our desserts. And my dad stands up. He's, he's planned something that I did not know about, okay, with, with my sister Heidi. So din dinner's almost over. And I know the game is probably in the eighth inning and the Phillies are losing. And my dad stands up and says, now I'd like us to go around the table and say something nice about the person that we brought with us. Now there, there's, there's 25 people at the table. You know, this is going to take another two innings. So I stand up and I said, Dad, I've been as patient as I could possibly be. Damn it, the World Series is on. I've been waiting my entire life to see the Phillies. Can you please end this so we can go watch the World Series? And there was a hush that comes over the room. And they're going, oh, my God. Okay. And my dad looks at my sister, Heidi, who's beat red. And he says to her boyfriend, Michael, I'm really sorry. Maybe you should just make your announcement. <laughs> so, my, so my sister's boyfriend stands up, and he's very flustered, too. And I've completely shot down whatever plans they just had. And my, and my future brother-in-law turns to us and says, I didn't mean to cause any family grief. I just, I just wanted to you know, tell you all that I want to marry your sister. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah! How could you possibly be so insensitive? And then of course everyone rushed into the other room to watch the <laughs> World Series. So we we get into the into the room and the, the Phillies make a miraculous comeback and win in the ninth inning with two runs. Okay, a pinch hit by I think maybe both Greg Gross and Del Unser had pinch hits in, in that last inning. And anyway, they so they close out game five in Kansas City on Sunday. The Sunday we're celebrating my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. So I'm supposed to drive back to my to my job in Knoxville the next day, Monday, the next day. My my boss knows I'm in Philly. Uh, you know, for my parents' anniversary, and that I, I, I told her I would be home, I'd be back in, by Tuesday. Well, game six is on Tuesday. And so I, you know, I, I can't, I have to try to go. I, I know it's, I know it's difficult, a lark, if I can possibly get in, and it's probably going to cost a lot of money. But I, you know, I call her up, and I, she knows I'm a baseball fan. And so she says, of course, yeah, try to go, see if you can go. So, so I get up Tuesday and call the Phillies office as soon as they're open. And, uh, you know, I, 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 explained, I explained to the woman uh, that answers the phone, the, sec the secretary at the keyboard, at the uh, Phillies um, phone, phone office, that I'm trying, I'd, I'd do anything to get in. I'll sell beer, I'll pick up trash, can I, whatever I can possibly do. Is there anyone that might be able to need help so I could get into the ballpark that day? And the, the woman hears me and she said, well, I'll, I'll call Mr. Cassidy. He's in charge of, uh, of running the stadium. So they put me through to Pat Cassidy's office or the next, his second, Pat Cassidy's secretary says, this is, this is Pat Cassidy's office. Can I help you? 
and I explained that I'd really like to try to get into the ballpark by, by working my way in. And, and they basically says, no, I'm sorry. We, we don't have any, we don't have anything open. I'm sorry about that. But at least I know I've got Pat Cassidy's name in my mind now. So my brother comes down for breakfast. We drive down at 11 o'clock and we get to the vet at noon. And the game's not till 8.30. <laughs> so we, we've got plenty of time, you know, to, to find a way into the stadium. So, so we, walk, we, walk over, we walk over to the stadium and there's Philadelphia sanitation workers are, are basically driving around the stadium where the doors are open taking out trash from the Eagles game the night before. The Eagles had played, well, that, that was Sunday. They, I, I don't remember who they played the Sunday before the, the Phillies game, but they, they won their game 17 to 10, and there was a lot of, there was, in fact, a lot of trash to be collected. So at one point, I'm at this open door where the trash men, you know, they, they, they see me and they know I'm trying to get into the stadium, and they basically said, well, you know, just give us 20 bucks and we'll let you in. And I, you know, I, I thought, well, that, that's, that was a pretty good price, but it's like one o'clock. Where am I going to stay for the next seven hours? So, so we, we, we passed them up and then they said, well, how about if you just go down the street and get us a six pack? And that was even more appealing, but that would have meant going back to the car, finding a bar, getting a six pack, coming back to the stadium. So, so we just, turned them down, went up to the concourse, and, and my brother, who was with me, uh, says, look, why don't we just climb over this fence, this fence, climb up the fence and climb into the stadium? Well, there was a barbed wire at the top of the fence, and, uh, but he scaled it without any trouble at all. And so I thought, okay, I'll come up. I guess I can do that. You just showed me how to do it. And of course, I snagged my pants on the barbed wire and caught up on this barbed wire hanging 15 feet over the concourse. And somehow I got myself pulled off the barbed wire. He drags me up. And now we're in the stadium literally six hours before game time. And we're, we're just kind of walking around trying to figure out how, where do we go? How do we kind of stay safe? All of the men's rooms are locked. We can't even hide in a bathroom. So at one point, we find a woman's room that's open. And that lasted about 15 minutes. I mean, I don't know how long you can hang out in a bathroom with no windows, but we lasted about 15 minutes. So my brother decides, why don't we just go up, up to the upper deck and pretend that we're picking trash up? So he, he goes to a, a, a trash receptacle, and of course it's, it's ready for the game, which means that there's about eight or nine trash bags underneath the top one. So he takes one, I get one, we put another liner in, and we go up to the upper deck. So there's, there's beer cans and broken bottles all over the 700 level of the upper deck. So for the next two hours, we're picking up bottles and bringing them down to the trash receptacle, full bags of cans and bottles, pulling out another trash receptacle. After two hours of doing this, we both think, hey, you know, we kind of earned our way into this. You know, we deserve to be here. We've been working for two hours. So around five o'clock, just before they opened this, the stadium gates, this, this well-built guy, with hair comes up to comes up to us and he says what are you two guys doing up here and i remember in the back of my mind who the stadium controller is and i said pat cassidy sent us up here to clean the upper deck and as soon as i dropped pat cassidy's name the guy goes oh okay now this was before cell phones he could have just you know if if he'd had a cell phone, he could have just called Pat Cassidy and Pat Cassidy would said, I don't know who the hell's up there. Chase those guys out of here. But so we were allowed to stay and we continued to pick up trash. And then as soon as they let fans in around 530, 
we knew we were golden. We didn't have a ticket, but we knew, right, there were people were running around. So my brother decides, let's try to get down to a lower deck. Now, I, I would have been happy to watch it from the top of the bleachers in the 700th level, but uh, I, you know, he, he was the one that pulled me off the barbed wire fence. So I went with him and we found our way down to uh, the press box, the out of town press box. And it, there was a poster on it that said press. Well, I had a press card from my job in Knoxville. And so we just sat down in the press box. Now, luckily, most guys that are covering the game don't show up until 10 minutes before the game. You know, they're, they're at the hotel room or they're at some bar drinking. So the five minutes before game time, finally the press box fills up and the guys whose seats we're sitting in <laughs> come and want their seats. And the girl who let us into the press box comes over and I thought for sure, well, now we're going to get kicked out. But we've been there for like an hour and a half. And so she kind of knows this and she says, oh, don't worry about it. Just move to the back of the press box. So, so we're in game six of the World Series. And they open the beer taps at, at the first inning for the press. And we're just helping ourselves to free beer. <laughs> Watching game six of the World Series. Steve Carlton shutting down the Kansas City Royals. And, uh, you know, it was a glory, it was a glorious night. And around, around the, early in the game, I had the presence of mind to go call home. I had to go to a, I had to go to a, um, a phone booth or a telephone. And uh, I, I dialed the house and my family was sitting down to dinner my brother Mark picked up the phone and I said, Mark, it's Chuck. And Mark goes to the family, it's Chuck. <laughs> now, they knew Paul and I had gone down to the stadium, but we hadn't been in touch for six or seven hours. Mark, we're in the stadium. They're in the stadium. And I can hear my parents and all the kids going, yay. <laughs> Mark, we're drinking free press box beer. Yay! So, so the Phillies closed them out. We go into the city. <laughs> we go into the city where it was utter, just utter pandemonium, as you can imagine. And my, we go down to City Hall where my brother, where there's these flags at the top of the light stanchions. And my brother gets about two thirds of the way up, trying to get up to the top to get a flag and he just couldn't he just couldn't quite make the last five feet so we're all otherwise we would have had a really great souvenir of uh of the uh, of the game but it, we did take the bunting from the press from the press box <laughs> that is an unbelievable story i'm i'm in awe knowing you and knowing how much you love the phillies and just your delivery of that story it's so entertaining. It's, it's, well, it's I, unreal. Yeah. It was one of my favorite stories. And I, it was the first story I sold to Sports Illustrated. Right. Now, yeah. now they didn't run it, right? They didn't run it. But, but, but I got paid for it. And then they, a, a year later, the rights of the story reverted back to me and I got to sell it to the Philadelphia Inquirer. So I got paid. That was the only story I ever got paid twice for. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's so great. I mean, that's like a movie. It gets better every time I hear you tell it, <laughs> honestly, a, a true Philadelphia legend. Yeah. Well, uh, it was fun. It was fun. We're, we're going to, to switch over though. We're going to talk about from, from the rise, from, from being passionate Philly sports fans, oh, winning no. team, and now we have the Philadelphia 76ers yeah. down two games to zero against my Boston Celtics. The team just looks deflated. You know, well, Trump, Samara, what's going on? Yeah, I don't know, but I, we, we should tell your audience that I was so confident after the way they played the Raptors and how close they came to getting to the next level last year that I, 
when you told me you were in Vegas, I said, I want you to get me a $20 ticket, put, put $20 down <laughs> to win the NBA title. And you graciously did this for me and mailed it to me, and I sent you the money. And boy, do I wish I had that $20 back. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> while I was there, I happened to have put in, uh, I think it was when I was in Vegas myself. Yeah, I think I put in for the Celtics to win it all. Okay. All right. Well, if you win, you can pay me back my 20 <laughs> <laughs> We'll see, but. but I don't know. know. Is, is anyway, this something you expected or no? Well, I, I mean, they, I don't think the pieces fit very well. I, I really did think when they got out Al, Hor Al Horford and, you know, I, Andrew, I remember you telling me that uh, they didn't have any more shooters, you know, they let yeah. their shooters go yeah. and that, that was really going to hurt them. And I thought, no, they're going to play really good defense. They're going to play bully ball. They, they're going to be bigger than most of the other teams that they play. I love the addition of Horford. I thought he was going to be, sort of an emotional center that w a mature guy that that Embiid would look up to but man it really hasn't panned out that way so no, yeah no, I, I've no, been no. pretty disappointed with I, I I just don't see them winning I told Samara I thought they'd lose in five I'd be shocked if they won even one game yeah they look like they've mailed it in yeah I mean there, there's no energy there's no fight I, I also said I thought they would win one or two but I think at this point, the sweep is almost a guaranteed lock. Just, I mean, there's too many turnovers. And it's, it's, unfortunately, it's coming from the guys who are supposed to be playing the bully ball, Horford and Embiid, are turning the ball over. And every time they do something good, a couple of minutes, like, you know, Horford will make an awesome assist or something. And the next thing you know, his pass gets swatted down right in front of him and it's a turnover. And it's like, yeah. it's nothing no good, nothing pretty. Mm -hmm. And it's, I do, I do think that the team is probably going to be making a lot of changes, and we might not see Embiid and uh, Simmons on the team next year. Both of them. One, yeah. I think, will surely be here, but I'm not sure both of them are going to be here. But that, I hope uh, that we can trade of one or the other that they get something decent back. I mean, yeah. looking at it now, you still have three years left. What is it? 110 million dollars that you're paying Al Horford. Yeah. I am so happy that the Celtics don't have that contract. I will say this. I I liked having Horford on my team. That contract's ridiculous, so I don't yeah. miss that at all. But right, Samara, you you do know that the owner of the Sixers is trying to get the Mets. I know. I know. I'm very well aware. <laughs> He'll run that team into the ground. I'll tell you what. Yeah. My boy Stevie <laughs> Cohen is. I'm afraid you'll be with me and Andrew next year, complaining yeah, right. about the ownership of the Mets. If that happens. I've been hey, I've been complaining about the ownership of the Mets. It would be nothing new, nothing okay. new to me. But but let's let's go into this this game on Wednesday night a little bit. We have Jason Tatum. I don't know if you've heard the number three pick in the 2017 draft. Stop. This guy is this unbelievable. Guy, the, the guy we traded a first round pick for you to take at three. We, yeah, right? you traded and you took Markel Fultz, who put up absolute duds against the Bucks tonight, by the way, um, at least in the first half. You have Jason Tatum and, and – and Brett Brown decides, you know what, we're going to bench Al Horford. We're going to put in Matisse Thibel to play defense against Tatum, shut him down. Do you think that no. helped? That no. did nothing. That did nothing. Jason Tatum, it didn't matter who was on him. He shot 8 for 12 from three-point range and had a career-high 33 points, or a career-high in the playoffs with 33 points. He led the Celtics. He's playing out of his mind. It it doesn't matter what you throw at him. He's driving to the basket. He's shooting his three-pointers. He has his little sidestep, pops it, swish. He shot one from, from 35 feet out yesterday. Yeah, well, I, look, Samara, you're coming pretty – you're really provoking me to drop a few F-bombs here. So <laughs> you've asked me not to do that. So I can tell you, yeah, you got the better team this year, no doubt. Well, yeah. here's what I'll say about the 76ers, at least at the beginning of the game on Wednesday, is you were hitting every shot, the 76ers. Yeah. You, were, you were shooting confidently. The Celtics, on the other hand, were missing right. everything. I think the big thing with the Celtics was that they continued, they stayed confident. 
and they yeah. kept shooting the ball even though it wasn't going in. Weren't the 76ers were up at the end of the first, no? The first yeah. quarter anyway. Yeah, Steve, yeah Stephen were. A. Smith pointed out that after they were up 24-11, the Celtics outscored them 69-19. to oh, oh, my God. Stephen A. Smith, it, it my was God. Like, it was like 84-48 to 48 or something. That'll make you sick. That's, That's 60, 69 to 19. Deplorable. How Deplorable. is that? How does a pro team even show up? I have no idea. That kind of disgraceful thing. Right. I mean, if they, if these two games, if game three and four were coming back to Philly where they played very well this year, I think they had a shot to win one, maybe two. But right. I, I don't see them winning either of these games. They're, they're ready to leave the bubble. They want to go play golf. Nobody's yeah. helping Embiid. I mean, Embiid, what did he have no. 36 the other night? Especially the coach. Yeah. It's it's sad. You have Tobias Harris, who, who you're also paying a bunch of money. What, he had 13 yeah. points on Wednesday night? I, I would take Landry Shamit back over him. Yeah, oh, which Shammett's is been really killing it yeah. The yeah, yeah. Oh, I miss. There's so many process guys I miss. It, so it feels like it feels like it all fell apart when they when they realized they couldn't sign Jimmy Butler, and I think that yeah. has something to do with Jimmy not liking the way Brett Brown coached the team. So, and gotta be it. Yeah. Do you think Brett Brown's back next year? Because no, there's no, 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 no way. way. I mean, I, I'd be willing to bet you the twenty I lost on my Sixers bet that he won't be back. Yeah. No, I there's would no way. I don't there's even. No I don't think that the players even like playing for him. Not anymore. These guys don't. The process guys did. But most of those guys that he spent all the time losing with are gone. You don't have TLC. You don't have um, McConnell. Landry Shamit, Rashawn Holmes, Covington, Dario. When they traded Dario and Cov for Jimmy Butler, that's when the process died. Because you just took the two guys who were with you from the start of the process and turned out to be the best out of that, you know, cruddy bunch. And you just – you're trading them off for a rental. At the time, that's what – yes, yeah, we, there was a chance for him to sign, and we all thought he was going to sign. But really, you had to look yeah. at it for what it is, and we were just getting a rental. Well, in hindsight, in hindsight, it wasn't a very good trade. I mean, I think they rolled the dice and hoped that they could convince him to stay. Yeah, and it just didn't happen. Kawhi Leonard just destroyed that. Maybe if they would have went to the – Yeah, if they you know, the had gotten past uh, Toronto, it would have been interesting to see how far they would have done i'm not sure they would have beaten milwaukee but no no but here's the thing i want to know when the celtics who let me just add small plug semi ojale grant williams brad wanamaker ennis Cantor, and romeo langford all off the bench combined for seven of seven from behind the arc love that for the celtics especially with a bad <laughs> bench historically especially this season yeah when, when the Celtics win, it'll be Celtics-Raptors. Who do you want to win then? Why do you, is it the you team that took sure. you out last year in the second round? Or is it the Celtics who took you out this year and who beat you year after year? I'll be rooting for the Raptors. Ra- I'll always be rooting for the Celtics to lose, Samara, always. No matter wow. who they're playing. Sorry. Wow. That's an easy one. Andrew wants the, <laughs> the bubble to be canceled. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope the bubble gets canceled. Shamefully, I will admit that I do like Jason Tatum. I like anybody who comes from Duke, and I right, he's a great player. So I'd That's probably root for the Celtics. He's a great player. I admire it's him. Hard he's not to root player. for him, especially yeah. especially when he did so poorly in that first game in the bubble against the Celt- against the Bucks, and everyone was like, "Well, he didn't have a basketball hoop in his front yard during the quarantine." And, you know, he's just been playing golf. And he came back and he shot – he had five points in the game against the Bucks, And everyone was like, that's it. He's not a superstar. He's a joke, whatever it may be, and all these comparisons. And then he goes and averages like 27 points per game the rest of the, the way and is continuously just breaking his career playoff high. Again, he had 33. Jalen Brown had 20, and Kemba Walker had 22. Kemba Walker only played 25 minutes on Wednesday night. That's huge to not yeah. have to play the guy that you just yeah. signed in the offseason, your starting point guard who was on minutes restriction in the bubble, only having to play him and for him to score 22 points in that short amount of time. Amazing. 
Tatum lead, led the whole game with plus 29 and his plus minus. You know who had the worst plus minus? I mean, all of the 76ers ended with a minus. Matisse Bible, minus 30. You hate that because he minus was like the 30. bright spot of the stats. Oh, that'll, that'll make you sick too. All of the Celtics were in positives. All of the 76ers, minus. All right, Samara. Well, I, I guess you'll, you'll be sending us pictures from Boston when they do the parade, right? Yeah, I hope, <laughs> hope you enjoy boats. it. Cue <laughs> the duck boats. Anyway, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Let me just ask, Andrew, as always, how, how, how's the gambling going this week? Gambling's been going good this week. Finally got that first uh, Yankees bet to hit, minus one and a half, on Monday against the Sox. They did it four days in a row. So, And I hit on three of those. Took it Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So that was great. And I haven't even touched Korean baseball. So I'm not losing money in the morning. So it's been a good week. It's been a good week. Um, Philly's losing two today against the Blue Jays. Not good for me. Always good for me in our bet, but you know. know. Well, even besides our bet, I still – I can't help myself. I bet the Phillies every single game they play, at least five or ten bucks. It's uh, started to be more of a deficit, though. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds so, like a bad habit. Really evaluate. Yeah, terrible habit. Bad habit, Andrew. You, you gotta give. You gotta never, never bet on the Philadelphia teams, man. Don't bet your heart. Oh no, no, Chuck. It's way more fun betting the it heart. Makes it I that much more it. fun. Yeah. I will say, I'm, I'm doing really well with these NBA playoffs. I'm hitting on player prop bets. Joe Ingles has been killing it for me. His over on the points. He was over ten and a half on Monday hit easily over 13 and a half on Wednesday again hit I think he had 16 or 18 to finish the game but I've been doing pretty well with these NBA playoffs I hit on the heat pacers heat minus four and a half rockets Mm -hmm. minus two easy money Um, I'm loving this it's amazing Chuck you're amazing thank you so much for joining us today I hope that you thanks thanks for having me on yeah Yeah, thanks so much Chuck sure We'll, as we'll always, do it again sometime. Yes, Absolutely. of course. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Guy Boston Sports. Make sure you're following them on Twitter as well as Guy NYC Sports and myself and Andrew at Samara Rose 31 and at City John. Uh, let us know. Yeah, yeah no, that, that was right. That was Andrew's <laughs> telling me that I'm wrong, but this time no, I know I it. got it right. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, let us know what you want to hear on upcoming episodes of the show. If you want to come on the show, let us know. And until then, go Celtics.